being wise with money is a good goal to have, regardless of where you fall on the income and wealth spectrums. Hello, 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 and welcome to More Than Money, a podcast where we have nuanced conversations about money, business, and life where we take the time to explore the intersections of the psychology and emotions of money while respecting the math of it. Because you know, these are the elements that impact your results, your feelings, and your experiences. I'm your host, Jacquette Timmons, and I am really, really glad you've taken the time to tune in today. I don't know about you, but for me, Time is moving fast. And now we are about a month away from September's Pricing Made Human Masterclass. If you'd like to join us, here's what you need to know. It is Thursday, September 9th at 4 p.m. Eastern. And the experience is for you if you are a business owner or entrepreneur who is curious about what really affects how you approach your pricing. Hint, it's not simply a mathematical exercise. But you're not curious simply for the sake of curiosity. You're curious because of what you want pricing to do for you. Maybe you're looking for pricing to be a vehicle for increasing your numbers, whether that's sales, profit, or the number of clients. Maybe for you, it's a tool that's going to help you with feeling more confident, more successful, or more stable, or maybe it's both. So whether you are starting a business or looking to take it to another revenue level, or hey, maybe you're even getting ready to sell it, I hope you will consider joining us. To get all of the details and to RSVP, you can go to jacquettetimmons.com forward slash pricing dash masterclass. Again, jacquettetimmons.com forward slash pricing dash masterclass. Now, on to today's show, which I readily admit is a little bit of a rant. So let me just tell you that at the very start. But for a little bit of background, growing up, I would get into trouble whenever I said the word hate. In our household, that was akin to cursing, and that was something I did not do in front of my mother unless it was a slip of the tongue. So, you know, like instead of saying darn, I would say damn, and I'd be like, oops, sorry. I say all of that because as a result of, you know, some of our household rules, hate is not a word that I use liberally. Yet there are times when it is apropos and my visceral reaction to the phrase financial literacy is such an example. And I've talked about this before on the pod, but I think it bears repeating because each time I hear the phrase financial literacy, I literally cringe. It's like to my ears, it's like nails on a chalkboard. Like I literally have that reaction within my body. And it is not something that goes over very well with some of my professional peers. Like I get some flack from them for this stance that I take on it. And mostly because 
they think that I am dismissing the spirit of the phrase when I am not. So I think a part of me wants to kind of like, you know, set the record straight and become even more clearer about why I have the reaction to the phrase that I do. Because I am all for folks increasing their competence, their knowledge in all sorts of disciplines. After all, my body of work as a financial behaviorist, whether it's through my work as a coach, a speaker for hire, or a writer, is centered around helping you expand your financial self-awareness. So yes, obviously, I want you to learn a skill like tracking your money so you can identify patterns. I want you to become more aware of your relationship with money, like understanding the why behind your money choices so you can make more informed ones moving forward. Yes, I want you to be proactive about changing your mindset or perspective, if you prefer that word, so that you can go from, you know, believing you have to give, as an example, your business, everything, including your financial future, to designing one that puts you and your loved ones first, because you don't have to sacrifice your personal financial health in order to have a thriving business. Yes, I want all of those things for you. My problem with the phrase financial literacy is with its application. And given how much this shapes the personal finance industry, this is a big deal. So let me give you a little bit of a financial history lesson in case you are unfamiliar. The financial literacy movement began mostly as an outreach effort undertaken by commercial banks so that they could meet the requirements of the Community Reinvestment Act. For some banks, this included developing and or delivering programs to reduce poverty and to help lower to middle income families, primarily in underserved communities, quote unquote, understand money and how to manage it so that a person can make informed decisions. Obviously, this is an awesome mission. It's noble, in fact. But as I said before, it's the approach or the application that most banks take to fulfilling this mission that just irks the heck out of me. And quite frankly, one of the reasons why I am bringing this up again on the podcast is because it should bother you too. Because when you hop on the financial literacy bandwagon, as it is currently promoted and taught by most banks and nonprofits or inside the financial wellness programs of some companies, maybe even yours, it distracts you from what matters most when it comes to managing your money. How, you may ask? Well, let's start with the previously noted definition of financial literacy. Quote, again, to understand money and how to make and how to manage it so that a person can make informed financial decisions. Would you agree that this is beneficial for all of us? I think you would say yes. I think you would say yes. Being wise with your money is a good thing, regardless of where you fall on the income or wealth spectrum. 
Yet most banks and nonprofits only target their financial literacy programs to lower to middle income households. In the industry, they call that, the abbreviation for that is LMIs, lower to middle income households. And in my opinion, that's very short-sighted for a couple of reasons. One, from what I've observed, most LMI households, they understand money and how it works quite well, in part because they have to. Their circumstances don't really allow for much else. It doesn't allow for much wiggle room. And unlike others with more resources, they can't easily dismiss or overlook too much. Second, these institutions are missing out on the chance to be of service to a whole lot of other people. Whereas financial literacy ought to be inclusive, it is usually presented as something that is exclusive, but for all of the wrong reasons. And to add insult to in injury, most of these programs just focus on the math of money. And that's akin to saying, well, if you just spruce up your math skills, you're good. And thus this delivers the message that as long as one plus one equals two, not only will you avoid making a bad choice, you won't have to make any tough choices either. That's crazy. And it also fosters this really weird notion that only financially irresponsible people need literacy. So basically, and as confirmed by a Google search of financial literacy, you only need it if you are poor, bad with math, or irresponsible. And I take issue with that. And I don't know about you, but I think you should take issue with that too. And here's the thing. What if you are a person with financial means, who is indeed good with math, who is responsible with money, but you want to improve your skills, your awareness, and your mindset? Shouldn't there be a place for you to raise your hand and say, hey, I'm ready for some help too? For me, a major flaw with the current focus of financial literacy is that it promotes a false sense of financial empowerment for the people getting help and a false sense of accomplishment for those providing that assistance and guidance. As irony would have it, my biggest pet peeve with financial literacy is indeed the phrase itself. If you approach learning about money, learning anything about anything that might be new to you or that you simply want to improve, as you would learning another language, do you call it literacy? I've never heard anyone say, I'm taking a French literacy class. I've never heard anyone say, if they're learning to knit, I'm taking a knitting literacy class, never. Plus, when you study another language, you kind of embrace the idea that your learning is ongoing and you're not gonna get it right immediately out of the gate. So you embrace and internalize this idea that you will you know, improve the more you implement what you learn and internalize. And so if we adopt that approach, that perspective, that mindset, wouldn't the same principle then apply to money? 
I think so. And luckily, even though, you know, I do get some flack from some of my professional peers, I'm not the only financial professional who has a strong dislike for financial literacy as it is currently facilitated and, and pushed. And while my reasons may vary from theirs, luckily, there is a little bit of research to back up our individual and collective stance. And that research really kind of leans into this I think the, the, the point that we're all just trying to make in, in, in different ways, and that is financial literacy simply doesn't work. And here's why. It doesn't work because of the perception many of the banks and the nonprofits that promote it have in terms of who needs it. It doesn't work because far too often it is not holistic. It doesn't work because it kind of stunts financial innovation and it helps people to be, and when I say people, and when I say it helps people to be lazy, I'm not talking about the people that are quote unquote, um, the beneficiaries, quote unquote, of the financial literacy. I'm talking about the people that are creating those financial literacy programs. It allows them to be a bit lazy and to not be as innovative as they possibly could be. It doesn't work because it limits the creation of policy initiatives that can protect both the wealth you have today and the wealth you're working to accumulate for the future. And I want to pause here for a moment because this is going back to 2001, and there are a variety of reasons why I remember that timeline, but I was hired by a nonprofit that works with, or I should say worked with people in transition. And you can read that as people that were um, in transition from incarceration to work or welfare to work. And I, for an entire year, had an engagement where twice a, a week, I would go to this organization and I would do financial education workshops for the people that were in this program. And I remember, saying to a young lady, making a suggestion that, you know, maybe instead of getting your nails done every week, maybe you just do it twice a month. Um, and then you can save the money that you save by not getting your nails done every week. And she said to me, well, why would I do that? And the reason she said that is because if she saved more than $200 in her savings account, they would take her benefits away. Again, that is a ridiculous stance. You have hired me and you've paid me quite nicely to come in and to do these financial education workshops on an ongoing basis for the people that are rolling through it for an entire year. And yet if they actually implement what I am sharing with them, you get penalized or they get penalized and you take their benefits away. What is the purpose? So again, that is why I have such a strong reaction to it because I think so much of it is just window dressing and it's not really about getting to the root of the issue. So I go back to, again, it doesn't work because it limits the creation of policy initiatives that would actually do the right thing in my humble opinion. And 
you know, finally, in my, uh, again, opinion, it doesn't work because it hurts you, especially if you're not inclined to raise your hand, so to speak, and say, I want to understand more about my money and discover ways to manage it so that I can make more informed decisions. So if you are not poor, if you are, you know, not someone who um, has poor habits when it comes to money, if you're, if, you're, if you're not someone that falls into their category of quote unquote, who needs it, I think the way that it's approached, it hurts you because you don't raise your hand. And then therefore you don't know what you don't know in terms of what are the questions that you aren't asking that you would benefit from asking and knowing the answers to. As much as I dislike the phrase financial literacy, to this day, I admittedly do not have an alternative one to suggest. I've used the term here, even on this episode, financial education, that might work. Um, of course, selfishly, I could offer up financial intimacy as an option. I don't really have another suggestion. I just know that I have a very strong reaction to financial literacy. But by whatever name you call it, here is what I want most for you. And by whatever name you call it, for me, here's the goal of it. I want you to be engaged with your money. I want you to know your numbers and to heed the clues that they give you because there's always a story hidden within your numbers. There is always a pattern that you can discern from reviewing your numbers. So I want you to be engaged with your money. I want you to know the numbers so that you can identify the patterns and heed those clues. And I also want you to put you and your loved ones first when it comes to your money and your business. So by whatever name you call it, that is what I want for you. And what I also want for you is I want you to ask on an ongoing basis, why? I want you to ask how, and I want you to remember what it is that you are really, truly managing. Hint, it ain't just your money. Well, that is it for my rant. That is it for today's episode. I thank you so much for listening all the way until the end. And you know what? Let me just actually, I, have, I do have one more point to make. The other thing that, that I have an issue with when it comes to financial literacy, and you, if you pay attention to the news and you heard, you know, for example, that Robinhood did an IPO, and you might have remembered what was going on with Robinhood at the, at the very beginning of the year. Financial literacy, again, the way that it is traditionally uh, delivered and pushed and facilitated, if you will, emphasizes information over insight. And the whole thing that happened with Robinhood at the beginning of the year and GameStop, that was all about people having access to a whole bunch of information and yet, and yet not knowing what to do with it. And that's another critique, if you will, that I have with a lot of the financial literacy uh, initiatives out there, that it is high on, let me give you more information but not as high, as, in my opinion, as it ought to be on how do you convert this information into insight and to insight that's been personalized for you. Okay, now rant is over. <laughs> so again, thank you. 
If you want to join us in September and work on your pricing, please go to jacquettetimmons.com uh, forward slash pricing dash masterclass. Again, jacquettetimmons.com forward slash pricing dash masterclass. And if you'd like to show appreciation for this podcast or this episode, or even give me some feedback on whether or not you um, are on the same side of the street as me in terms of the rant, or you, you have another name that you would like to call it, or you maybe you don't see anything wrong with the way things are. I'd love to know. But um, you know, if you'd like to show appreciation for this podcast or this episode, please share it so that we can reach more people. And you know, feel free to give us some feedback. Send me a DM on Instagram. And if you'd like to buy me a coffee, here is how you can do that. Buymeacoffee.com forward slash Jaquette. Buymeacoffee.com forward slash Jaquette. Again, tremendous thanks for tuning in to today's episode and letting me rant about this. And until next time, remember, it's about more than money.